This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is probably supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Industry leading. Difference making. Tomorrow shaping. World changing. These are a few of the adjectives people use to describe the technologies and companies Deloitte works with day in and day out. Join us, and soon those very same adjectives could describe your career too. Explore technology careers at Deloitte.com slash techcareers and make an impact on business, technology, and society while engineering your future. At Deloitte. Dramatic pause. A dramatic pause says something without saying anything at all. Dramatic pause is a go-to for podcasters, presidents, and radio voiceovers. It makes you look really smart, even if you're not. Feet deserve a go-to like that. Like Hey Do Choose. Light, comfy, good to go to. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I'm Russ Goldman, and this is the Player Ratings Show. This episode, I'll once again have a very special guest, and that is Ryan O'Donovan, who writes about foam for Football.London. We will be discussing his ratings for the foam players against Chelsea, along with his talking points from this match, which are very interesting. This should be a great show, but before I do anything else, I have to welcome back Ryan to the show. It's been a little while. Ryan, how you doing? Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? I'm all right. It's all changed at the cottage again. I think the, the times I've been on, I think we've done three managers, haven't we, pretty much, <laughs> in those spaces. So, yeah, all change again, but it's good to be back. It's good to have you back, my friend. I look forward to doing this show with you, and there's a ton to talk about. We'll obviously be focusing a great deal on Scott Parker, but uh, I talked to you about this off-air, and this is where I want to start because I was puzzled back in July when Stuart Gray left the club. And I think he's been a miss. Well, now he's returned to work underneath Scott Parker. I want your thoughts about the return of Stuart Gray, just to get us going. Yeah, so that 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 was an interesting one for me when it was announced that he'd be coming back as, as the assistant manager. His whole departure in the summer was a bit of a weird one. I'm still not entirely sure exactly why he left the club. Jukanovic liked him from what I've heard. They got they had a good relationship. So yeah, I'm still still not sure why exactly he left the club. But um yeah, I know there's a lot on Twitter and social media about Stuart Gray and people blaming the defensive side of things going wrong on him not being there. As far as I was aware, he worked mostly on set pieces at Motspur under Jukanovic. So okay. you know they they didn't really have specific roles in that, you know, it's kinda of like football manager where you have a defensive coach, you have your attacking coach, you have right. your thingy coach. They they didn't really have that at Fulham. It was kinda of everyone chipped in under Jukanovic and everyone had their their little bits they did, but there wasn't a definitive coach. Or Stuart Gray wasn't like he is the defensive coach and okay. Like Javi Pereira wasn't like the attacking coach and all that kind of stuff. It, it was a bit of a, everyone chipped in with everything. But as far as I was aware, he, he was mostly concerned with, with set pieces. But I think having him back, you know, clearly the players, there was a whole uplift about it. The fans, the players, I think 
the big thing about having him back is he knows the players and he knows Fulham. You know, he's he's been he was there just before Jukanovic came, right? And all those players have been there with him there. And and as far as I know and know about him, he's very personable on the on the pitch. He's he's English. You know that that's a massive thing for for English players to have a an English an English speaking coach who understands the rigors of English football. So he's always got on really well with the players. And I think having him back there, you know, you have you've got Scott Parker who was there as a player has been there as first-team coach this season. I think having Stuart Gray back is quite clever from Parky. You know, he knows what he, he can bring on the training side of things, but he also knows what he can bring on the personal side of things. All the players like him, you know, and he, he gives that little bit of confidence to to the players. You know, Kearney knows what Stuart Gray is like. Stuart Gray right. knows what Kearney's like. They've got a good relationship. It's the same with Seth. So I think having him back, while it might not necessarily solve anything on on the defensive side of things, I think in terms of confidence and body language and just having the players feel like there's someone else in their corner, you know, I think psychologically it'll be a massive boost for them. Totally agree. Uh, I'm glad that we talked a little bit about that because on many levels, you you talked about the personal level. I think that's extremely important. And uh, listen, we're not in training. We don't know exactly what his role has been. I'm glad that you explained that you believe that it's more there, he wasn't really a defensive coach. He had a role, and uh, like you said, working on set pieces, and, and they all helped out in, in in their roles, you know, in whatever their role was for, say, each match or, or in training. So I just think having him back is huge. It's a boost, like you said, to the players having him back, and I just think it's a positive thing. So that's one of the reasons why I just wanted to touch base with you to start the show to talk about that. Now, let's get into talking about the match first, and then we will talk about your player ratings. Let's start with your article for your talking points. It is entitled The Influence of Kearney and Reclaiming an Identity, Talking Points from Scott Parker's First Game. So we'll just go through all of your talking points. Let's start with this one. This one is huge for me. The change in atmosphere at Craven Cottage. Talk about this. Yeah, that for me is the biggest thing I've noticed this season. Last season, Craven Cottage was a brilliant place to go and watch football. You knew you were getting quality attacking football on the pitch and off the pitch. Everyone turned up every week, more or less thinking we're going to absolutely batter whoever we're playing. And you could feel that from the crowd. And at the start of the season, there was optimism at Craven Cottage. And then as the weeks have gone on, you can slowly see that going from optimism to concern to to anger and then back to optimism again, which which it was what it was at the weekend. I think having seen the crowd on Wednesday night down at Southampton and seeing those banners and just hearing the 1500 or so Fulham fans just chanting off. They were still chanting through the game, you know, they were still enjoying themselves, but it was all gallows humour, you know, it was all, we're going down, we're on our way to championship, that kind of thing. But then seeing the change in atmosphere on, on Saturday, you know, there was just a different feeling at Craven Cottage. Like I said, it was one of optimism. The the players and fans, you know, there there hasn't been that connect in recent months between them, I don't think, anyway. And I don't think Scott Parker thinks it either, having been on the bench and seeing that from, like, the outside kind of thing. But I think what he's done already is kind of tried to bridge that gap. And you could see it with the atmosphere on Saturday, uh, on Sunday, sorry. The, the, The fans were right behind the players because they could see the players were putting a shift in. And then you add that to the atmosphere that a West London derby generates, especially when Fulham were getting at Chelsea in that second half. And it, the atmosphere was just a completely different feeling to what it's been like for the past few months. And, you know, it, it's it's down to the new manager bounce. You've got yep. Scott Parker and you've got a new manager. He's played Sessegnon and Kearney where they should play. They The players are playing for the, for the crest. You know, they're putting in challenges. They're putting themselves about. And it's just, you know, there's there's optimism again at Fulham. Maybe not that they're going to stay up. I don't think anyone really thinks that. I think it's pretty much consigned that they're going to go down this year, but more in a sense that they've got a man on the sidelines now who, who's been a player at Fulham. He's been a coach at Fulham for the last month and he knows what, what the team's about and he knows how Fulham should be playing football. So I just think the whole atmosphere, you know, compared to Wednesday night and the week before, it was just flipped on its head a bit and it was the fans and players, there was a bit more of a reconnect again that that hasn't been there for the last few months. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that because you were at Scott Parker's first press conference and that's what he was talking about, connecting the fans and the players by the players giving everything that they could. So I would say his first objective, it was able to come through because it affected the atmosphere at Craven Cottage. Yeah, definitely. You know, he spoke 
at length about, like you said, that, that reconnecting the fans. You know, he, he feels it's the players, the club, fans. They, there's been a disconnect, and, and there has been, you know, compared to last year when the team was so close knit and the players felt that the fans, they, they, there was that connect there. You know, the, the fans were proud of their players, and the players knew they could su- get the support of the fans wherever they went. There hasn't been that much this season. I don't know whether that's because of the new signings or because it's the Premier League or or because they've been losing games or what. But there just hasn't been that this is our team from the fans this right. year. But we saw that on Sunday. And I think that's what Parker in these next nine games is going to be desperate for. He wants the players to go off, regardless if they win or if they lose or if they get smashed 6-0. He wants the players to go off at the end of that pitch, at the end of that game with a standing ovation from the fans because the fans, he wants the fans to know they put a shift in. And I don't think we've seen that this much this season. Listen, I agree with all that. I think that's the goal for Scott Parker in in these uh, final nine matches. And we could say the match that was just played, just give full effort, let the fans know that they gave it everything that they could. And we saw that on Sunday, which was encouraging to see. All right, your next talking point, definitely want to talk to you about this. It is entitled Scott Parker's first lineup and style of play. I want to focus a decent amount on the style of play because I was really interested to see how this would work. And again, I heard Scott Parker talk about how it would be a combination of styles. Ryan, I think that's exactly what we saw. I think it was a combination of Ranieri and Jokanovic. So thoughts on his first lineup and style of play. Yeah, so I asked him the question, what's the style of play going to be like? And as you said, he said he wants it to be a combination between Ranieri and Djukanovic in that he wants them to be defensively stable, but he wants to tap into the attacking power they've got in that side. And, you know, everyone knows Fulham have attacking power in that side. They've got Sessegnon, they've got Mitrovic, they've got Kearney. Even Ryan Barber I've been impressed with since he's yep. come in. He's, he's probably been the biggest shot for me, actually, but that's a different topic altogether. But in terms of the style of play, I, I think, as you said, yeah, we did see that. The second half, especially, I thought Dennis Adoy and Joe Bryan were very compact. And they did. I think they did a very good job defensively in that second half. You know, They weren't overexerting themselves going forward at the risk of leaving themselves open at the back. You know, If, if Joe Bryan was getting forward, then Dennis Adoy would tuck in and make sure that, that stability was still there at the back. And I think it was credit to Adoy that Eden Hazard got hauled off midway through the second half because... In that second half, he didn't really attack Adoy too much. And I think that's testament to what Adoy did. But I think we saw the defensive side of things then. And then on the attacking yep. side of things, when someone like Kevin McDonald or Callum Chambers won the ball in that central midfield area, the thing I noticed most was the speed at which the players got forward on Fulham's side. You know, you had Sessegnon, Barbel, Kearney, Mitrovic all bombing forward immediately after that ball's been won to get into better positions. And that's something we saw a lot under Djukanovic. But with Djukanovic, you had the added, we're going to stick a winger up or a fullback and they're going to bomb on an attack as yep. well. We didn't see that so much with with Parker's Fulham. I think it was a bit more conservative in that sense. But we still saw the speed at which Fulham were attacking on the break. And he mentioned that on Friday as well, that he wanted to add more pace into that into that forward line. And, and, he, and he did that with Cessna. You know, there's a number of times that ball was just knocked over the top of the left back for Cessna on the chase when he was on the right. So I, I was impressed impressed with how Fulham took to it, but I, I wasn't shocked because um, Parker didn't reinvent the wheel at all. He took yep. what Djukanovic had done and he took what Ranieri had done and then just combined it a little bit. So he wasn't inventing anything new. He wasn't trying to get the players to do anything new, really. It was just a continuation and a, a hybrid of those two styles. And I think it worked really well. I think it suited the players. They didn't look as defensively shambolic as they have done at times yep. this year. And they, you know, they were unlucky not to score more than one goal. If it wasn't for a great, great goalkeeping performance from Kepa, Mitrovic would have scored. There's a few other players that, that had decent efforts as well. So, yeah, I was impressed with Parker's play, but I'm just, I don't know why it's taken someone until the 29th game of the season to realise Fulham are good attackingly. They're not so good defensively. Let's maybe make a mix of the two so that we've got the best of both worlds. But... There's, there's lots of things this season that I think, why why is it taking this long to do? But overall, yeah, I was impressed with how Parker lined it up. And I think it showed good a good insight into what he's been doing on the training pitch the last week, uh, the last month, uh, year, sorry. You know, he's he's not just been a yes man to Djukanovic or Ranieri. He's, yep. he's learned from what they've done and he's learned what's not gone well and what he's not fought well. And he's tried to correct that straight away. So, yeah, it was an impressive start from him. 
Okay, Ryan, that was great. Let's move on to another talking point. We're pretty much working up to what you watched here and uh, talking about the obviously the starting lineup and the style of play. This will lead to talk about the pace of Fulham's attack. Another talking point for you. Yeah, I've already touched on that, the speed at which Fulham were attacking when Kevin McDonald and Chambers won the ball. And it's, we saw it under Djokanovic that Fulham were good going forward under him. You know, they scored goals, but they just couldn't defend. And then under Ranieri, he wanted to chase clean sheets and defensive stability so much that he sacrificed the attacking side of things. You know, he sacrificed what Fulham were good at. So I think Parker recognised both of those traits and in, in the relatively short uh, period of time, it was about seeing what Fulham were best at and then seeing what they weren't good at and trying to combine the two. And like I already mentioned, every time Fulham won the ball, yep. Sessegnon, Barbel, Kearney, Mitrovic were bombing forward immediately with either Chambers or McDonald trying to break through the middle or play passes out wide or into the front men to, to get them moving. And it was a contrast to Wednesday night and Ranieri, who would just lump the ball to Mitrovic, then try and build from a second phase further up the pitch. And it was different to Djukanovic in that he overloaded players. And, you know, you'd have both the fullbacks bombing forward to join him with the attacks, leaving two defenders and a central defensive midfielder to try and mop up the pieces. So it, it, I think it was just a bit more conservative in terms of everything we've seen so far this season. And I think I think he got it spot on. There's going to be times where... You know, he's not going to be able to do that against Manchester City in a few weeks or Liverpool right. to that extent. But against a team like Chelsea, he's obviously seen what Chelsea do with their whole Sarri ball thing. And he's thought, right, this could work here. And I think it will work against the likes of, you know, Everton coming down, Wolves in a few weeks. You know, I, th- I think it could work against those kind what of What about teams. Leicester so, City coming up? Yeah, it could, yeah, exactly. Leicester City, especially now that they're under Brendan Rodgers, they're going to have a new style of play. It could It could work there. But again, Fulham haven't won away from home all season long so it, it how Parker sets them up to go up to go up there is is going to be an interesting one yeah. whether or not he, he sticks with the same formation I think he probably will and will probably try and play the same way but going away from home is always so difficult especially in the Premier League and then you've yeah. got the whole thing where Fulham haven't won away from home all season long that plays on the players minds sure but if they play like that you know Leicester City have been hit and miss this season under QR I think Fulham should have beaten them at Craven Cottage absolutely so it'll be interesting to see. Brendan Rodgers is a good manager, though. But, you know, two new managers, two new styles. That'll be an interesting match on Saturday. It will, you know, and I think there's going to be some uncertainty from both sides, you know, because I don't think either one are going to be totally prepared for what they're going to see. So it should be interesting. I think Fulham have a chance. Believe it or not, I'm going to say that I know that they've been terrible on the road. But I think the uncertainty from both teams could lead to a, a good match and some possibilities for Fulham. All right, have to talk about this because this has been a talking point throughout the entire season with this player. Let's talk about Tom Kearney's influence in this game. We've talked about it on Cottage Talk, going back and forth about Kearney. I really did not like when Ranieri would put him out wide. I just thought it was the waste of this guy's talent. Well, when he is given a central role, Ryan, you could see his influence. Talk about his role in this match. Oh, yeah, it was night and day. The performances with him out on the right compared to in the middle, you know, there's just, there's no com- there's no comparing him. I think we saw it to a degree in the second half at West Ham the other week. You know, Kenny, I spoke to Kenny after the game and asked him about it. And he said he was fed up with West Ham having so much of the ball. So he just came inside and tried to dictate play himself. And it, it, it worked. He looked a lot better there. But Ranieri, for whatever reason, just didn't see him in that position and would rather him out on the wing to cut inside and shoot with his left foot. He still didn't score under Ranieri, so you know I don't know whether or not Ranieri thinks that was a success or not. But his his influence on the games was just completely different. I, I got some stats earlier that I was trying to do a piece on. I just never got round to it. But you know, against Chelsea, his chances created per ninety minutes were one one thirteen. You know, he had three shots, forty one passes in that game. His passing accuracy was eighty seven point eight percent. You know, every time he got on the ball. Right. He looked like something something looked like it was going to happen. And he was dribbling the ball as well. When we saw him under Djukanovic in a deeper position, he'd get the ball, look up, kind of like a quarterback in, in American football. You know, He'd look up yep. and then play the pass, and that was his job. But with this, with this formation, playing just in front of the two, he, he was allowed to dribble more. And there was times where he dribbled into the box and, you know, really caused Chelsea's defenders some problems. 
and it would be he would be able to pass the ball further in better advanced positions as opposed to sitting deep. And I think you know the, the Fulham players just look to put everything through him. They know how good he is with that ball. They know he's going to see things and make things happen, and it, it makes it easier for them. They know they can rely on him to do something with that football, and it, it was the difference in Kearney was just night and day. Even his attitude on the pitch, he looked happy again. He looked like he wanted to play there. He looked like he was loving eight, every minute of the eighty minutes he played that game. So why Ranieri didn't play him there is is beyond me, and it's one thing I don't think I'll ever. I'll go to my grave never understanding why Ranieri played him there. I asked him about it so many times. Yeah. His answers were never, you know, never coherent or, or something I would ever be able to put in an actual argument as to why he played there. So, but, you know, you have to play Didn't Tom Didn't he Kenny compare him to Juan Mata at one point that played him in that role like Juan Mata? Yeah, there was one correctly. of those. Yeah, one of those, you know, it's... But Kenny's nothing like Mata. It, I just... I, I've... Yeah, that, that's how I left... I was. I, that's how I left... Claudio's press conferences half the time just in a kerfuffle about what he's actually going on about and how it actually translates to the pitch. So away from that, I, I thought Kearney playing in the middle was so much better. He had an influence on game. He dragged Fulham by the scruff of the neck at times. And it's just it's just his position. It's just where he's much better. Right. And, you know, if there's still, you know, I don't know if he's going to be a Fulham player next season. And I've spoken to people about this on Saturday, about on Sunday, sorry, about yep. you know whether or not he's done enough this season to prove that he's a Premier League player. And I, my response was, he's got ten games now under a manager that trusts him. If he stays injury free, you know that's his platform to prove he's a Premier League player. And I think we did see that on Sunday. You know that was him proving, look, I can play this position in this, in this, in this division. So yeah, for me, it's. It's an obvious one having Kearney in central midfield and his influence is there to see. And I think we'll see that for the next nine games if he stays injury-free. Well, I hope we do see that, Ryan. And and it was great to see him flourish in the role that many think that he can really uh, dominate. And again, in this match, you just could see the skill. And the question is, is he a Premier League player? Well, I think, like you mentioned, I think this is going to be a little bit of, of an audition in these last nine matches to prove the point. And uh, I, I would not bet against Tom Kearney, especially if he's going to be in this role. And I will always shake my head with the situation with uh, Claudio Ranieri playing him out wide. I will never understand it. Like I mentioned, I, I heard the reasoning. I just didn't agree with it. He has all this experience and all this knowledge. I'm just a supporter. And I know that his best role is central. And I just say, play to your strengths. That's what Parker did. And he got the results with Tom Kearney. All right, let's move on. Last talking point you have is this wasn't a revolution. It was a small step in reclaiming an identity. And I'm glad that you had that last word in there because it's very important to me. They had an identity under Jokanovic. I don't think they had any identity under Ranieri. So as we talked about earlier, it looks like Parker's trying to marry the two systems that he was involved in and basically forms his own identity for a form. Your thoughts, you know, again, like you said, this isn't a revolution, but it's a step in the right direction for a return of Fulham's identity. Yeah, absolutely. I think identity is the key word for Parker. He, he spoke after the game about it. You know, he said, like like you pretty much said, once upon a time, when, when people said Fulham, you fought good football, the Fulham brand, you know, under Jakanovic, that identity. But if you said, what's Fulham's identity now? People probably wouldn't wouldn't be able to tell you. They they point to the hundred million pounds spent or the yeah. free managers or whatever. Fulham haven't got an identity at the moment. And I think a key thing for Parker is reclaiming that identity and building one again. And he spoke about he's planning for the long term at Fulham. Whether or not he's gonna be there past the summer, past these ten games he's had, is another matter. But regardless to him, he wants to leave Fulham in a better place than he found it. And he's going to build for that future, regardless of whether or not they eventually give him the job. So the massive thing for him is he didn't try to reinvent the wheel, as I said. All he did was play players in the right positions, play players where he knows they can do things, where he's seen them do things, both as a player playing for Fulham and on the training pitch. And he just played a style of football that suited him. So... You know, it, it doesn't take a genius to do that, but it's taken a man with common sense 
to be able to implement that. And that's what Parker is. I think I think he's got common sense. I think having played football for so long, having been at Fulham as a player, captain the side, and been there as a first team coach, I think he knows what the club is about and what it should be about. And for me, I think he might not win any of these 10 games, but that isn't the important thing. I think the important thing for Parker is that he gets the fans back on side. He gets Fulham playing some sort of identity again that they can go into next season and build on in the long term. And I think if he does that, I think he's in, a, in with a great ch- uh, chance of getting this job permanently. Okay, excellent there, Ryan. And um, listen, to you know, follow up on all of this, you know, when I look at this match and I hear the words of Scott Parker, and I know you've heard these words from the presser after the match, he talked about, again, playing for 90-plus minutes for his players. But I found it interesting that he's also said this, and it sounded like Yukonovich. He talked about that at halftime. He talked to the players about basically being brave, letting their skills show itself. And that's exactly what we saw because I think that something happened in the second half where I'm not saying that the shackles were off, but they were allowed to play more freely. And I, it might have just been the words of Scott Parker saying, be more brave. And that's something that I cannot tell you how many times I've heard from Jokanovic. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, I can I can hear Jokanovic in my head saying, be brave, actually. <laughs> now you say that. I heard him say it so many times. But yeah, that's absolutely right. Jokanovic was always saying, these lads are good on the ball. They can play football. They just need to be brave, go out there and express themselves. And under Ranieri, they, they weren't allowed to do that. They weren't allowed no. to express themselves. It was all about the system. It was all about 11 players mucking in defensively in a system and working as a system to do it. There wasn't scope for individual brilliance or to to be good on the ball, to take a chance. Risk was, you don't take risks. That's what it was under Ranieri. But Parker's brought that in a bit. It's, it's Express yourself. Take risks. Don't take stupid risks. But take risks. Go out and be brave. Express yourself. And that's what these players, you know, Kearney, Sessegnon, Barbel, Brian even, you know, Mitrovic, this is what they, these players need to hear. They're good yeah. on the ball. Just just take a chance. You make a mistake, you make a mistake. But you need to be brave to be in that position first. And if you be brave and take the risk, risk comes with reward. So I think it's all about instilling that confidence again in them. And that's that's what Parker needs needs to do and is doing. Okay, excellent there. A dramatic pause says something without saying anything at all. Feet deserve a go-to like that. Like Hey Dude Shoes. Light, comfy, good to go to. Let's go to your player ratings. You did this on Sunday, so I'm curious if you can always change your ratings if you like, if you're giving it some more thought. But this is what you wrote right after the match. Let's start with Sergio Rico. You gave him a six, and this is what you wrote. Made a number of good saves throughout the first half. Was the one from Iguain being a highlight. Didn't have too much to do in the second half of the game, but looked alert when called on. Do you, you want to stick with your six? Yeah, I think a, a six is fair enough. He didn't really have too much to do. There was that save from Higuain, which was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, yeah. I've, I've, I've criticised Sergio Rico a lot in the last couple of weeks. And I know fans have as well. You oh, know, he, he deserves it, honestly. He, he has. He, he's, he looks like he's confidence was shot to pieces every time he came for a ball you just thought he's, he's not going to get there he's going to drop it but I, I don't know I don't know why that had happened you know because he is he's a good he's a good quality goalkeeper he's won the Europa League twice there's no doubting he's got quality but he just for whatever reason just absolutely lost his confidence but I thought he looked a lot better against Chelsea and he made he made that that save against Higuain was fabulous you know that that is top quality so yeah yep. I, I, I'll stick with a six Okay, excellent. All right, let's go to Dennis Adoy, which you give a seven. This is what you wrote. Struggled it right back against William and Chelsea's attackers in the first half. Looked decent going forward and started to cope more with Hazard as the game went on, with a Belgian eventually being subbed off. Very interesting that you say that because that's something that Emilio Danello highlighted on our full-time show, talking about Dennis Adoy. He's like, don't sleep on Dennis Adoy because overall he had a good match and and the subbing off of Hazard is a proof of that. Your thoughts on the doy? Yeah, I thought he struggled in the first half. You know, he struggled because they, they they did target him. It, it was clear they were going for him, especially down that left. Sarri's system likes he's likes everything to come down Chelsea's left. So all their creative players are on the left. So with him being right back, you know, they were 
absolutely targeting him that first half. And he did struggle a bit, but he grew as the game went on. He, he looked good going forward and he grew and he grew and grew. And, you know, having a bit more shape defensively, I thought he dealt, in the second half especially, he dealt with Hazard brilliantly. Yeah. And it was testament, like I mentioned earlier, that Hazard got subbed off. <laughs> and, you know, they kept a clean sheet in the second half, Fulham did. It, it was it was brilliant. So, yeah, seven, seven for Dennis Adoy. I thought that was a, a fair mark. Okay. Let's do the centre-backs together. Let's start with Havard Nordvite. You give him a six, and this is what you wrote. Was fairly comfortable at central defence alongside Ream and used his experience to shield Iguain off the pitch a few times. And now you gave Tim Ream a seven, and you wrote this. Looked confident in the first half and had a good 45 minutes making some strong challenges and looking comfortable on the ball. Six for Nordvite and seven for Ream. Yeah, I'm still... Not sure what more Nordvite has added to that defensive experience, yes. But in terms of ability and stuff like that, I'm not too sure really what more he's added. He, he's he's added the experience, but right. I thought he had a he hasn't put his head above the parapets really for me just yet since since his debut. So I gave him a six for that. I thought Tim Ream next to him was absolutely brilliant. You know, it's it's the first time in a long time I've heard that that bellowing chant of Ream from the hammy end. <laughs> And he just looked like, I know this season he's had a bad back injury that it took him a while to come back to. And then he had to go into a Premier League season against top players and he struggled for it and struggled with confidence. But for that game against Chelsea, he looked like his old self. You know, he put in some brilliant challenges. He was comfortable on the ball and he looked like he had his confidence back a bit. So, yeah, a seven for him. Okay, excellent. All right, Joe Bryan, at left back, you also give him a seven. This is what you wrote was doubled up on the first goal, but did well in an attacking sense for a side during the first 45. Had a much stronger second half and did a lot better than his first 45. Yeah, I think with Joe Bryan, you know, I, he's still learning. He was a good championship defender, a very good championship defender, but I still worry about his reading of the game defensively. I've, there's been a few games where he's been doubled up on and he hasn't read the game quite as well down that left and Fulham have conceded from it. It was the same again for Chelsea's goal, you know, they picked Fulham apart down the left, doubled up on Joe Bryan, cross comes in, Higuain scores. So for me, there's still a lot for Joe Bryan to improve on the defensive sense. But going forward, you know, he's crosses into the box. They're very, very good. They're one of Fulham's best outlets for it. And he gets himself into good positions going forward. So, And he was better in the second half, much better in the second half. So, yeah, seven for him. Okay. Let's now go to Callum Chambers. You gave him a seven. I believe he was the man of the match from Foam Football Club on, on the uh, Twitter account. And this is what you wrote about Chambers. Had a very good first half and worked well with McDonald in defensive midfield to break up and harass Chelsea attacks. Continued that in the second half in what was a good display from Chambers. His role has really just evolved. I mean, I'm just talking about his confidence. He just gets better and better for me every time he plays in this role. Ryan, your thoughts? Yeah, I remember watching him at Cardiff playing at right back and getting absolutely oh, ruined. That was horrible. And I, thought, and I thought, I don't see how Chambers really comes back from this. But <laughs> I remember. Yeah, coming but coming into that defensive midfield position, he's been absolutely brilliant. And he has grown game by game by game. Scott Parker's had a lot to do with that. I know Scott Parker's yep. taken him under his wing a bit. And well, not, not now he's manager because he's got the whole team to worry about. But when he was first team coach, he spent a lot of time on Chambers in that, in that area because it's pretty much the same position Parker played and you could see him benefit from it. And on Sunday, he broke up attacks, he got on the ball and his movement for that goal from the set piece, you know, it looked like Fulham had practiced that on a training round, but to see that all of Chelsea's players had bunched over to the right and he was just able to pull off and, and finish with a nice volley. I think his whole game was, was really, really good. So yeah, a, a seven for him. Okay. Very good. All right. Let's now talk about Kevin McDonald. Kevin McDonald is one of my favorite form players. I've been concerned that uh, maybe the speed of uh, the Premier League, he would struggle. I think we've seen some of that. But I want to say that Kevin McDonald, I thought, did a very nice job against Chelsea. You gave him a seven, and this is what you wrote. Vocal throughout the first 45, McDonald performed well and put himself alongside Chambers to break up attacks, started to tire in the second half, and was replaced by Anguissa on 62 minutes. Your thoughts on McDonald? Yeah, so McDonald adds the vocal side that Fulham lacks somewhat. You know, Kearney yep. said it after West Ham that there's not many leaders in that side. But Kevin McDonald, I, I think everyone's seen the photo 
in the dug in the um, changing rooms at Wembley where the oh. team are in a circle and McDonald is in the middle, hands gesturing, he's giving a, a giving a speech. He is a leader, and while his technical ability probably isn't up there with you know a lot of the the series and players like that in the Premier League. He is a leader and he adds that. And he know, you know what you're going to get from him. He's going to put in 110% effort. And I think he, he, he showed that on Sunday. You know, he, he put in loads of tackles. He put himself about the, the entire time he was on that pitch. And he, he was, yeah, he was placed on the hour mark because you could see he was starting to tie. He was putting in such a job and he's barely played any football this season. So, yeah, it was a good performance from him. I, still, I think that's where Parker's biggest headaches is going to come because... You can see what you get from McDonald. He adds that leadership to the side. But then, Seri, you can't dispute that Seri is a quality player on the ball. You know, I know people have been disappointed somewhat with how he's settled in at Fulham, let's say. But you know, he he he's got the, he he makes the most pass in the team. He makes the most tackles in the midfield. He has the most touches of the football. I think you, people ex- maybe expected a bit too much from Seri, and because he hasn't added a goal or assists. Right. They're a bit, oh, Seri's, Seri's useless, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think a fully fit Seri, I don't think you, you can just leave on the bench. So I think for Parker, it'll be very interesting what he does going forward between Kevin McDonald and, and Seri for that position. Okay, excellent there, Ryan. All right, Tom Kearney, you've given eight, and this is what you wrote. Looked a different player to the one we saw under Ranieri. He got involved in everything in the first half and looked to be playing with real confidence. Was fantastic in the second half and was the man that was making things tick. He was my man of the match, and Miller Donnello gave it to him as well. Was he your man of the match? Yeah, he's got my highest rating there with an eight. So, yeah, definitely my man of the match. You know, he's, I, I, like I, t- I touched on earlier in our conversation, he, he made everything yep. happen. He made it tick. He, he looked like he had a point to prove, and he was just brilliant. He got a standing ovation as well from, from Craven Cottage. So, yeah, I don't think I've got too much more to say about Kenny. You know, I think I've sang his praises. <laughs> Yeah, Enough tonight. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, here's a player that I definitely want your thoughts on. Ryan Sessignon, you gave him a seven, and this is what you wrote. Enjoyed his return to the first team down the left and got himself into some good positions while he gave his markers a run for their money. Had a good second half and always looked to attack the Chelsea defenders when in possession. Seven is a strong rating for Sessignon. Ryan, I want Sessignon to be playing regularly the rest of the season twofold. One, because... I think he's only going to get better the more that he plays. I think he's going to flourish under Parker. And I think you also have to be thinking long-term with his value. I I know that's not something that fans want to talk about because they don't want to see him leave. But I I think under Ranieri, I think his value dropped partially because of the situation. He wasn't playing as much. And, of course, the things that Ranieri said about him did not help. I'm glad that he is back. Your thoughts? Absolutely. You know, People don't want to sell their best talents, and that's understandable. But there's maybe only six non-selling clubs in the world. So your your point about Session's value dropping, it's a conversation I've had with some of the other guys that have been going to Fulham covering them this season. Last summer, you know, it was being reported that people were looking at fifty million pound bids for right. Ryan Session. Now he's got only a year left on his contract and he's not really hit the heights people were expecting in the Premier League this season and Ranieri wasn't playing him. So like you said, his value was, is only ever going to decrease. So they're not going to get anywhere near as much as that in the summer should clubs come in for him again, which I think they will. I think clubs will, will still look at Session and think he's a player with immense talent. So yeah, first fold, playing him more is only going to put his value back up a bit. And secondly, it's right in Session, you know, he's, He's a very, very good footballer. He's one of Fulham's own. There's, he should be playing every week for me at 18. He was doing it for Djukanovic. Yep. We saw how good he was in the championship this last season. And we know he, he can play at this level. I know a few people thought he didn't have a very good game on Sunday, but I don't really agree with that. You know, He got himself into good positions and he was always looking for the ball. OK, says Aspilicueta in the second half or Emerson might have beat him to the ball a few times, but he was always a constant outlet for him. And he was really unlucky. His reading of the play once again came in. He was so unlucky to get that yep. ruled out for offside. It was close. Looking at it again, it was offside, but yep. he's reading of the ball to re- he's reading of the game and reaction to react to that and get in the right position and, and put the ball in the back of the net. It's something that can't be underestimated. You know, he's he's people used to compare him to Gareth Bell 
And he's not a Gareth Bale. No. And people compared him to Ashley Cole, and he's not a Ashley Cole either. I always thought the best one I heard was Jukanovic talking about him. And he compared him more to a Marcelo Real Madrid type player. You know, a kind of player that would play well at left wing back. He doesn't beat players. He's not just a defender, but he's got a little bit of everything to his game. And I think that's the perfect player to compare Ryan Sessegnon to. And I think having him in the team makes the team a lot better than not having him. Totally agree. Full stop. Full stop. I don't think I don't think there's much debate for it. No, I don't think there is either. And what gets me about him is uh, pundits talking about Sessegnon and really don't understand the type of player that he is. I thought you just did a very good job of explaining it. His football mentality, being at the right place at the right time, making the right decisions is probably his strength. And he has the talent to score. And he's only 18 years old and he's only going to get better over time. So for me, play the kid. Play him because I think you're going to be better off with him for several reasons. And, you know, and again, this goes back to Ranieri for whatever reason, talking about toughness and come on, he's this 18-year-old kid. What are you talking about? So I will not understand that, Ryan. All right, talk about Ryan. Let's move on. Let's talk about Babel. Ryan Babel, you gave him a six. This is what you wrote. A lack of awareness to pounce on Kepa's mistake summed up his first half. Boy, that was bad. He was very much on the sidelines of the game, had a far better second half where he got involved more, winning the ball outright, coming inside to look to his forwards. Okay, you gave him a six. Thoughts? Yeah, I think that first half, he was very much on the periphery of things. You know, he didn't really get involved. He was too far out wide. And then I think it showed when he was just facing the completely wrong way when Kepa dropped that ball. If he was maybe a bit more involved, a bit more aware, he probably would have pounced on that. But I think it's, like I said in my ratings, it summed him up that he just wasn't really involved in it. But I don't know whether it looked like Parker might have had words at half time, you know, told him yep. to come inside a bit more, get himself involved more in the game. And when he did that, he was far better. You know, he, he was an outlet. He, he's always been good on the ball and he's always been comfortable on it. So when, um, when he's like that, you know, you're going to get something from him. I think he added that into the second half. It's just a shame that it was a bit you know, gliding through the first half a bit yeah. before he, he finally came into the game in the second half. Totally agree. All right, Mitro, give him a six. Struggled to impact the game as much as he had done in recent weeks, this is what you wrote, but got himself into some good areas in the Chelsea box. Battled well in the second half, and his physicality made an impact on Chelsea's defender. Yeah, so Mitrovic, you know, I thought in, it, he's battled more in previous games than he did against Chelsea for whatever reason, and it didn't really seem like he was as involved in the game. I don't know whether it was because Fulham's build-up play wasn't getting him involved that much or whether he was struggling with Rudiger and, you know, Christensen at the back. So he was unlucky not to score. I thought that that save in the last 10 minutes, was it, when Aite flicked the ball into him and he headed the ball into... I thought he was going to score that for sure. And, you know, most other times I probably would have put my house on him to hit the back of the net there. So... I think I've seen Mitrovic play better in the last few games than he played there. He still put himself about a bit and he still was the focal point and offered himself. I just think we've seen more battling displays from Mitrovic in in recent weeks than we did there. Okay, excellent there, my friend. All right, let's go to the substitutes. First, I want to talk about Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa. You give him a six. This is what you wrote. Was brought on the challenge, Chelsea, higher up the pitch, and he did that well for the 25-odd minutes he was on, getting involved well in the game. And I totally agree with this. Emilio Donnell on full-time, Ryan, this is what he told me. I'm paraphrasing just to remember what he talked about. He thought that bringing on Anguisa was a game-changer for Fulham, even though it didn't lead to any points. He thought that things were flowing really well. He was making some key passes, and the attack was just stronger. And if you look at the opportunities they really improved after Nguisa came on and he's a very polarizing figure you know again Mike Reg actually said in the last show it's either you love him or you hate him so I understand why there are people that question him but I thought he was good I disagree I I, I would have given him a seven I think giving him the six is because he was only on for a shorter period of time what was it okay 28 minutes yes so you know I'm quite stingy with my ratings they have to (laughs) 
you know, they have to do something really well to get anywhere near an eight. But um, sure. yeah, no, I, I did think he had a good game. I think, like I said in, in the ratings, I think he, he it meant him coming on meant that Fulham were able to pressure Chelsea higher up the pitch and force them into mistakes a bit more in that, you know, in their half more so than allowing them to come onto him and, and break it up in between the box and the and the midfield, which is where I thought they, they tried to break Chelsea in the first half. I think him coming on added a bit more athleticism to that midfield and allowed him to to push on a bit more and break it up there. So, yeah, Mike, Mike's completely right in, in Anguissa in that you either do love him or you hate him. And I think that's got a lot to do with that massive price tag he's got on him. And, um, you know, you, you sign someone for that amount of money yep. and fans think they should be world beaters. But at the same time, it wasn't Anguissa's fault. They signed him for that. He didn't have any say on, on what transfer fee Fulham agreed with Marseille. He had no impact on that. So he's kind of a victim of his own his own success from Marseille, really. You know, right. having been signed for that amount of money, he was always going to... If he wasn't playing 9 out of 10 every week, then people were going to get on his back about it. And injuries hasn't helped him. Free managers hasn't helped him. You know, it, yep. it takes a lot to settle. So, yeah, I do think, you know, looking towards next season again, I know and people, again, don't want to sell players or anything like that, but I don't see who's going to take a punt on Anguissa having been signed for so much money in the summer and then not really doing too much this season. So I think next season, albeit in the Championship, I think next season is when we'll start to see what Anguissa really can do as a player now that he's had a season under his belt in Fulham and hopefully a more stable management next summer as well who can get the best out of him. But yeah, I I did think, I thought he did really well when he came on, but I'm just stingy with my ratings. I get that, Ryan. But I agree with your point. I think Nguisa will be with Fulham in the championship next season. Yes, I said in the championship because that's where I expect Fulham to be. But I think that uh, he can do a job for, for them. And I think he would be an important player. And I, I do hope that they hold on to him, believe it or not. And I think it's going to be difficult to get rid of him. So I do think that will be what we'll see next year from him. I, I think he'll be an important player. And I, and like I said, either you love him or hate him, there's, there's nothing short of uh, talk about him because there's plenty to talk about. All right, the last two substitutes I'll give to you together. You can both a five. This is what you wrote about Floridite. Didn't really have too much impact on the game after coming on as a second-half sub. And Luciano Vieto only had 10 minutes on the pitch and didn't do much to impact the game. Now, you know, talk about Aite. Aite did have wonderful pass to uh, to Mitro. So I will give him that. There, maybe there was nothing else after that or before that, but at least he did have that. Vieto, I definitely want to want to get your thoughts on, again, going back to Emilio on full-time. He thought it was a mistake bringing him on for Kearney, partially because of how well Kearney was playing. Your thoughts about Aite and Vieto and also him coming on for Kearney? Yeah, Aite did have that brilliant ball, but I thought for most of the time he was on, you know, he was playing out wide, but he didn't really have the same influence on the games that either Sessin or Barbel yep. had out in those positions. So, although the ball, he did brilliantly to reach and get in there. Barb, IEA hasn't got the pace that Scott Parker wants on in those positions. So, right. I'm, I'm not sure really what he, he could have added to that side. But, and with Vieto, Vieto's a very strange player. I found at times he's looked very good. You know, early on in the season, there was times where he's acceleration on the ball and he, he would just accelerate. He'd get the ball and he's acceleration between in the next five yards would be out of this world. But then he's, his decision-making has always been poor. And he looks like a confidence player. You know, that Oldham game, he, he he just didn't fancy it against League Two defenders. And that, for me, was a very... It was an alarm, alarming point because a player such as Vieto should have been running circles around them. All due respect to Oldham, but he should have been running circles around them. But he didn't fancy the physical side of it. So, yeah, bringing him on for... For Kearney, maybe, you know, Kearney's played what? He played midweek, he played the week before that, and he had a very, very busy game on Sunday. Whether or not fatigue was coming into it and Parker wanted just to change things up, give him a bit of a break, you know, keep that mentality there, you know, the freshness, not to make mistakes. And that's why he brought Vieto on. That's the only reason I can see from it, because he, he... Vieto glides through games for me. You know, he doesn't really have too much impact when he comes on. He might do, if he plays a 90-minute game, he might do one thing of brilliance, but then not do anything else. So he's been a, he's been a funny signing this season as Vieto. 
Okay, excellent there, my friend. Listen, great show. Thank you for doing this with me, Ryan. Before I let you go, one final topic. It's Leicester City. We've already talked a little bit about it during the show. What are your thoughts about Fulham heading into this match? Do you think they have a chance to get something out of this? Am I crazy to think that? Maybe it's the new manager balance has clouded my mind, but I'm actually feeling pretty positive about this, that they that they have a chance. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's every reason to think positive about it, just because of Parker, what he's brought to the side. It's it's all been rejuvenated somewhat. So I think there's every reason for the fans going up there to feel positive. Whether or not they're going to get a result is another matter altogether. You know, I've already touched on that poor away record. Yep. And it that 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 I don't know why playing away always eats into the mentality of a player, of a footballer. I've never understood it. I, I, it's just one of those things. I don't think playing away from home compared to playing at home should have that much of an impact on things. But then again, I'm not on the pitch in front of 40,000 people. So who am I to say? But um, I yeah. think... I just think it's unfortunate that it's going to be Brendan Rodgers' first home game in charge. And I think he'll want to get a result. The fans will want him to get a result. And I yeah. just think that that might just be the the turning point for that game. So, yeah, I don't think... I, I don't personally think Fulham's winless run away from home is going to, going to stop at Leicester. But there's every reason to feel positive about going up there. I totally agree. And uh, I look forward to this match. And I was looking forward to the last match. I'm actually really looking forward to this one. And... Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, Scott Parker coming in. I, I don't know what it is, but right now there is that positivity. You've talked about it. What's been going on at Craven Cottage, that connection back to the fans, I think is very important. So um, maybe I'm feeling it all the way here in America. Listen, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. No problem. I really enjoyed that. So did I, my friend. But let's wrap this up. For my guest, Ryan O'Donovan from London. I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.